now as you turn with me, please, in your Bibles, open up your Bibles to uh, Colossians 1. This is a verse that was taken from what we're preaching out of today. If you please open up your Bibles to Colossians 1, verse 13, and uh, 1, verse 3, and uh, we'll read up through verse 14. Colossians 1, verse 3. Let's take it back to verse 1 just for the context. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth as you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. This is the written in the inerrant word of God. Next Sunday, I'll be proceeding with Ephesians. We're going to take a pause in Genesis. We'll get back to Jacob and Joseph in due season. But to vary the diet from Old Testament to New, I wanted to bring you, starting next week, a series out of Ephesians. So let us pray. Lord God, bless us today. Help us to understand this word and the application of the kingship of Christ to our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week in the gospel history, according to Matthew 28, we heard two women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, who followed King Jesus. They sought out his grave in dedicated discipleship. They were met by a personal representative. They experienced an earthquake and sent by that angel off to speak to the disciples about the resurrection they met Jesus himself who told them, rejoice. And then they embraced him by the feet, 
worshiping him. Those words are used right in the Bible. They worshiped him. Now, here's the revelation of the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And he told them to rejoice and to go without fear into the future. And he told them that he would be going before them all into Galilee, into your daily life, wherever your daily life is. These were Galileans. That's where they hung out. That's where they worked as fishermen. And so in that very act of fishing, Jesus met them, as we read at the end of Genesis, of, of John's gospel. You have a hope in your daily life with Jesus. But the question is, how do we get into that relationship? How do we come into a knowledge of God in the realm of King Jesus for ourselves? Not only these two, but me and you. And we read in Colossians 1.13 that the Father has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom, the kingdom of the Son of his love. The one who was revealed to us in Matthew as the king is now described as the one who receives us into the kingdom of the Father's love. That one who was described in Matthew 1 as the descendant of all those kings and of Judah and of Israel, that's King Jesus, that one who fought against evil by casting out demons, by uh, healing the sick, by being the king over nature, calming the storms. All these ways of him being king announced on Palm Sunday, ridiculed on Good Friday. He rose from the grave with authority shown by earthquakes and shown by his direction of the angel and shown by his providence as he sent them on before. And he met them there on the road according to the angel's direction. That's true. But what about me and you, now I'm not telling you you're going to have a physical meeting with Jesus. That's not appropriate at this point in salvation history. You see, Jesus is ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We know Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit who mediates the presence of Jesus in our hearts. But what about his leading? What about him going ahead of us? How do we get there? This is a great King Jesus. I want you to look in the verses following what we read in verse 15. He's the image of the invisible God. R.C. Sproul has said that God is a sovereign God. Otherwise, he's not even God. This is the image, the express image, it says in Hebrews 1, of the Father. He is the King. The sovereign is the King. He's the firstborn over all creation which means that he has all authority. He's not ever created, never made in any sense, but he has that place of the eldest brother in the family, which is the place of authority. He is in charge. All things were created with him. And if you go on to verse 17, all things hold together in him. It's a providence that rules. That's a kingly Rule. And then finally, he's the head of the body, the church. So he's the king of everything, but he's especially the king of you and of Christians everywhere because we gladly receive his kingship. We want his lordship. 
We have a will which has been transformed that we want what God wants. And we learn that through his word. Now, these epistles, this high Christology, which I just blew through right now. I preached it five years ago, so it's there. If you want to look it up, I'll, I'll send you the sermon. But the point is that he is the king. And this high Christology is something we are introduced to through these verses which we just read. And the structure is going to be 3 and 4, and then 13 and 14. What's the way into this kingdom? That's the key question today. How do you get into this kingdom? And then verses 5 and 6, and then 9 and 12. It's like uh, parentheses that are inside one another. you got the first point outside, then you got the next parentheses in, Verses 5 and 6 and 9 through 12, what is the substance of this kingdom? And then right in the middle, that's the one I referred to you, messengers of the king, kingdom, verses 7 and 8. So let's start off with verses 3, 4, 13, and 14. The way into the kingdom, conveyed into king, Christ's kingdom of love through faith. This is one of my favorite verses because it magnifies the Father, the antecedent of the word he in verse number 13. You look back at 12 and you see he's talking about the Father, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified to be us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. That's the he in verse 13. What he does is he delivers us from the power of darkness and conveys us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. I love this verse because it glorifies God. He is the one who works salvation. It's a technical word. Monergism. It is one worker. It is God who works salvation. We don't save ourselves. We don't contribute one ounce of merit. Not by works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2.9. It speaks of a movement. It's a dynamic verse. He's delivering us from wickedness. He's delivering us from darkness, and he's conveying. You need some movement in your life, church. You can't just go on the way you were born. There's got to be some changes here. And if we don't get that down, if we think that we're content in just the status quo, you're never going to move forward. You keep on doing the same old things, you're going to get the same old results. This is a dynamic Movement once and for all by justification by faith, but then an ongoing as you are established in the kingdom of the son of his love. It is there that you work out all the implications of it. So come with me and look at this conveyance into the kingdom of the son of his love. Now I'm, I'm making little movements with my hand. You've seen this maybe six or seven years ago. There is one head man, the first Adam over the old creation. That is the head man of darkness. He rebelled. And although I believe Adam and Eve were saved, he is still the head man. He is the representative of that old sphere of humanity. But there is this sphere of humanity which the Apostle Paul goes into in 1 Corinthians. It's the head man, Jesus. He is the second Adam. He is over this sphere. He is over this kingdom, this rule. Now, mind you, he is Lord of all, King of all. But there is a particular kingdom called his church now, 
where he rules over his people graciously, lovingly. And the key thing I want you to see here is you please now jump back to verses 3 and 4 and you see how we get from one sphere to another. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Note the identification of the Father as the Father of the Son, Jesus Christ. And notice that those same two persons of the Trinity show up in verse 12 and verse 13. The Father's doing the conveying of us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. But now look how it happens. Verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. That's how you get into the kingdom of the Son of his love. God the Father does the conveying, but the instrumentality of that is faith that you would trust in Christ and then the proof of it is your love for all the saints you're in a different kingdom when you trust in Jesus this is the path in he conveys us by faith what does the catechism say about faith question and answer 86 what is faith in Jesus Christ Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. We receive Christ into our life. No longer do we reject him. Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own received him not, we read in Sunday school but then God made us children and we received him. We are received in a forgiving way. We rest upon him alone for salvation. That saving grace, which is talked about in the catechism, shows that this is a, a gift of faith that we are given by God. We exercise it as he gives it to us. For by grace you have been saved by faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And the specific truths which we believe in Colossians 1.14 are these, regarding the Son of his love. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Our sins are forgiven. We are granted access into this kingdom of the Son of His love. We can't get in until our sins are forgiven. Once and for all, as we are justified, from that moment all on, we are heaven-bound. We are those of whom it says we are inheritors of the saints in the light. We are partakers of that. We are destined for glory. And in that moment, we are saved, we are forgiven. And we recognize that this redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, has a cost to it. It's the cost of redemption. Now, look at that word with me for a moment. If you turn back to Romans chapter 3 and verse 24, 
you'll see the word redemption there. And this means the payment of a price for freedom. And we read here, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Some people have thought that, you know, that when you pay a ransom, you know, if you do that in a kidnapping, it's the bad guys who get the payment, right? You know, they're getting the money and then they let the hostage free. But it's not that kind of payment. The devil doesn't get anything out of this payment. Rather, it is the wrath of God which is propitiated. And the payment of this sacrifice of Jesus at the Christ propitiates or empties or satisfies the wrath of God, that wrath being poured upon our substitute, Jesus. And then we are set free because being forgiven, we gain new affections. We have always wanted the world. We want the devil's way. We want to do things for ourselves. But when we discover forgiveness in God's presence, when we are brought into the kingdom of the Son of his love, we are loved now. We want to please our Father. We want to show him how grateful we are. We're not paying him back. We're just saying, thank you, God, for the relationship. I am yours. I want to follow your law. I want to be your adopted son or your adopted daughter. You see, there's a change in affection. Chalmers put it this way. There is an expulsive power of a new affection. When I have an affection for God because I've been regenerated on the inside, I love him now. And that expels the loves of the world, the love of the things the devil would put before me and you. And so today, the way into the kingdom is by faith. And the proof of it is in the love. If you see there, it's mentions in chapter 1 and verse 4. We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. Your love. God's love is poured into our heart by the Holy Spirit. It says Romans chapter 5. In verse 5, it says that God's love is poured into our heart by the Spirit. And let me read that for you. Romans 5 and verse number 5. We read it, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. That Spirit's given, His love comes into our heart, and then we love others. And that is one of the signs we are truly saved because we want to love one another. John 13, 35, By this you all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Tertullian, the early church father in 165 to 220 lived, and he said, this is what the pagans say, Look how they love one another. For they themselves, the pagans, hate one another and how they are ready to die for each other. For they themselves are readier to kill each other. This is Tertullian. That's how you know the church by love. 
Now, verses 5 through 6 and 9 through 12 in the middle, the substance of the kingdom. The substance is the knowledge of God and its fruit, that we would come to know God. Look at all the references to truth and knowledge in verse 5. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. In verse 6, since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. In verse 9, we don't cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And verse 10 at the end, increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, coming into this kingdom of the son of his love, we're meant to get to know God. Instead of having our focus on ourselves, on things of the world, on me, and seeking out my desires, our desire is to know the one for whom we were created. We were created for God to be his image. And so just a couple things. One thing I'd like to bring out from this text is the references to the three persons of the Trinity. The Father in verse 3 and verse 12. The Son of His love in verse 12, uh, 13. And Christ in verse 4. And there in the middle we see who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. The gospel opens up to us a broader knowledge, not just how to get saved, but who God is in His eternity. And we studied in Sunday school some of this. The, the eternal love of God. The Father for the Son. The Son for the Father. One great scholar, St. Augustine, pictured the Trinity suggesting that the everlasting love of the Father for the Son has existed forever. The Father is the lover. The Son is the beloved and the Spirit is the love of the Father for the Son. And so here is the Trinity, a knowledge of God that existed long before we were created. These three beings, which were about love, it wasn't about a monad. It wasn't about single isolation of power. It was about relationship for eternity. That means that you too are brought into a relationship now. You are not alone. You are in the presence of a father who has always loved the son and gave his son for you, and the Holy Spirit has saved you. And you're also given a church, which is the bride of Christ. Live in the light of that knowledge, that reassurance that he is here for you. Be comforted in the consideration of the sorrows of your life. Some of you are sad, feeling alone. Some of you are feeling hard-pressed by circumstances. Some of you have jobs that are threatened. Some of you don't feel like you ever can get alone. You're too busy. There's no solitude in your life. Other people feel too alone. All of this is given the attention and the comfort of God. He has poured out his love upon us. And we live in the fruit of this knowledge of God. It says in 6 and 7, this truth of the gospel has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. 
You see, the fruit here, I think, in the context is the fruit of new souls saved. People who are believers, because the context is talking about the day you heard and believed. It's about that experience of conversion. And so fruitfulness in the context here is that God is going to use you to help other people get to know Christ. And I heard about that today. Praise God. And as other people learn about Christ through you, they become the fruit that glorifies God and we bring glory to his name. And we see also in Colossians another type of fruit in verse number 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Do you see the mention of patience and long-suffering and joy? That's the fruit of the Spirit that we find in Galatians 5. So I think in the context here, the idea of fruitfulness in verse 10 is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You've got to know who you are. As our Sunday school teacher said, you have a great gift to give to the world. You know who you are. You're a child of God and you're a servant of Christ. You get to show this. There's all kinds of people walking in the darkness. Situations related to the Rockwell Library over the mountain, I will say no more. There's all kinds of darkness, all kinds of confusion that's in their friends, in your relatives. They are walking in the darkness, many of them. But you are in the light, and you get to be friendly. You get to be patient. You get to be joyful because you know who you are. You're a child of God. You're a servant of Christ. And so knowing that, you get to introduce people to Jesus and invite them to come out of the power of darkness and to have a renewed affection for God, a new affection that drives out the old. And now we come finally to this last point, which is in the middle, verses 7 and 8. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the spirit. Epaphras was a man from Colossae who we learn about not by name but by implication in Acts chapter 19. In Acts 19, Paul was really getting beat up hard in the synagogue and he says, okay, enough of this. Enough of this. I'm going to the hall of Tyrannus, which was a secular hall. It's sort of like if somebody was in a church over on Bay Road and the people were going after him. They said, okay, forget about this. I'm not going to stay at this church. I'm going to go down to SUNY Adirondack. I'm going to rent a room on Sundays. You can come listen to me preach, okay? That's basically what Paul did in Acts chapter 19. And all kinds of people are listening to him. It says all of Asia, it says in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. That doesn't mean every individual. But these towns around Ephesus like Colossae, heard the gospel in Acts chapter 19. And we suppose, and many commentators say, 
That's where Epaphras heard the gospel. Because Epaphras went back to Colossae. Paul had never been there. He brings the gospel, just as it says here in verse 7. You learn from Epaphras, my dear fellow servant. That's probably 55 AD. Then six years later, he goes to Paul in prison in Rome. And he gets imprisoned himself. Go figure. He wants help. He wants help for Colossae. And so Paul writes the letter of Colossae, which fights against incipient Gnosticism. Not a full-blown Gnosticism, but incipient Gnosticism that said that there is uh, really no earthly body of Christ. And because of that, well, your bodies don't matter, so you can live whatever way you want. All kinds of terrible implications of Gnosticism. And so he goes back, sends this letter with Tychicus and with Onesimus. Epaphras is back in prison with Paul, as it says in chapter 4 and verses, uh, yeah, Colossians 4.12 and Philemon verse 23. So here we go. We, go. we got this messenger. He learned about Jesus. He went back to his own, and it's your own where you are the most effective. There have got to be missionaries like these guys. You see these people? You see them on the wall? They're crossing cultural boundaries. You've got to have that. If nobody crosses a cultural boundary, then we're in our own little silos, and the people groups of the world don't know. But if you're not crossing the boundary, you are most effective among the people you know the best. And that's your family. That's your friends. That's your work associates. That's your neighbors. you got to be an epiphys, that you could share this message of the gospel, that it is by faith that we go from the power of darkness to the kingdom of the Son of the Father's love that you get to bask in that love, that you get to be transformed in your affections, that you get to know God. You can't glorify God who you don't know. Your chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, who is he? you got to know him from the Bible. And then what happens is that love overflows, the fruit overflows, and people get saved because you tell them about this dear congregation. Thank you for each one. May each one trust in you that they would be conveyed out of the power of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son of your love. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for always loving one another and that we are brought into that too. We are not alone. We are the beloved sons. That's Jesus, adopted sons. Thank you, Lord. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.